This is a podcast of the Easter Sermon preached at Manitou Presbyterian Church on April 17th, 2022. The title is Easter Mission Possible. And the focus of the sermon is Jesus' words, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. The scripture readings are done by Karen Bart, Jeremiah 31, 1 through 6, and John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. The response, Christ has risen while earth slumbers, is sung by Lisa Phillips. The sermon by Scott Starbuck. Please be seated. Let us pray. Gracious God, we have come to be with you. This is Easter. This is the day in the Christian faith that matters. It just matters everything. So help me get out of the way. We pray that you would take my words and all of our thoughts and even the reading of your Holy Scriptures and that you would take these and transform them into your spiritual word that you would talk to us each individually and collectively exactly what you have for us and that we would be open to what that is and live forward with hope and faith and joy and purpose. Amen. The reading from the Old Testament today comes from Jeremiah 31, verses 1 through 6. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall take your tamarines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria, and the planter shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when the sentinels will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Come, let us go up to Zion, up to the Lord our God. The New Testament reading comes from John 20 verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there near the body of Jesus, had been, where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Thanks be to God for the reading of his holy word. So I have this suspicion that you are like those students I saw this week. Like I can't surprise you this morning. No one is going to grab their cheeks and be shocked with the announcement that he is risen. And yet it is really shocking news. It is world-changing news. I think the danger always for people like me in a place like this is to domesticate what God is doing, to make it more about the church than about what God is doing in Jesus Christ. And so by just putting that up front, I'm going to encourage us to think about the world-changing nature of the resurrection. Christ has risen while earth slumbers. Christ has risen where hope died. As he said, as he promised, as we doubted, as we denied. Let the moon embrace the blessing. Let the sun sustain the cheer. Let the world confirm the rumor. Christ is risen. God is here. The title of the sermon is Easter Mission Possible. 
Easter mission possible. But to get to Easter mission possible, I think we need to name the elephant in the room. Karl Barth, the great theologian, said what brings people to worship, and not just on Easter, but any day, is an unspoken question that clings deep to our hearts and minds. And that question is simply this. Is it true? The greatest theologian, but also a pastor, had the courage to say what often we don't say on Easter. We go right into, he is risen, and if I can shout it loud enough, I can drown out that question in my heart and my mind that Karl Barth names, is it true? But that only works for us for a day or two. Because then that question comes back to us as soon as we enter real life. Or real life forces itself upon us. He goes on, is it true? Is it true that God lives and gives us life? Is it true that God not only established a routine, what we call the laws of nature, but on that one day, somehow, we don't know how, God broke the routine and somehow raised Jesus from the dead? Is it true that something so extraordinary happened on that morning that we can only rebuild our lives on its foundation? Is it true? I think this question can make us nervous because if it is true, then everything changes. It really is a brand new world. Everything changes. As it changed for the women and for John and for Peter and for countless others who would follow, who decided in faith that indeed it is truth. The Bible offers no proof. In fact, the scriptures are written in such a way that if you're looking for proof, you are going to be sorely disappointed. The four Gospels do not agree on all of the details. Now, if you're a forensic criminologist, that's actually a good thing. Because if they agreed on all of the details, we would tend to think it was made up. But the fact that they don't agree on all the details doesn't help our desire for ironclad proof, as if we think that would change anything about our decision to live in light of that truth. How many times in our life are we confronted by the truth and we live as if that truth doesn't exist? Let's not fool ourselves. It's never been an issue of proof. It's always been an issue of faith, of deep trust without fully understanding. There's no possible way you can parent or grandparent without deep trust. You can't do it on proof. There's probably no way that we can find our way forward as this 
world and news cycle that we live in gets more complicated by the day, not less. I just heard someone say that in their estimation, we're in a more precarious position than we were during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Things are not ironing out very easily, are they? It's not an issue of somehow having it all figured out, but knowing deeply what we're about, what we are going to trust, and who we are going to be. And that's why I think it's so important that John, when he goes in to the tomb, he believes, he trusts, he throws himself all the way in. But notice what he himself writes afterwards. As yet, they did not understand the scriptures that it was necessary for Jesus to rise from the dead. In other words, John is saying, I decided to trust and I hadn't had it figured out which is what faith is. It's that leap of faith. Isn't there a sense in which on Easter, with this choice of belief, that time itself stands still? Or better for a moment when we're confronted by this this miracle, that we are invited to stand outside of space and time. We can't really do that, but we're encouraged to do that. We're confronted with the past. Think about the Old Testament reading this morning from Jeremiah. At that time, some time, this is written 500 years before the time of Jesus Christ. I will be the God of all families. They shall be my people. The people who survived the sword will find grace in the wilderness. The Lord will appear to them from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. 500 years to see that faithfulness and love embodied incarnate in Jesus Christ, in the incarnation itself. There's a class that I teach that takes an entire semester that sort of slowly and methodically begins to explain or explore who Jesus understood himself to be as Messiah. And it does all of that in the past. And on Easter, there is the sense in which how does the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead make sense of everything that God did and promised and taught and encouraged prior to that. But there's also a sense in which we stand not only in the past, but in the future. Because who on this Easter morning, especially as we get older, does not think of this passage. This passage from the very last book of the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. God himself, God himself finally will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. So we stand in the past, recognizing that that somehow in the long history of God, with the people of Israel that comes to fulfillment in Jesus Christ, including the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, Easter looks ahead to the day when all people will be combined and connected actually with God, and all tears will be wiped away, and there will be fulfillment. But Easter's about the present. That's how John writes his gospel. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. We are living in the present. For me, at least, I think in the present, we often, maybe it's just me, pay attention to the wrong things. And because of that, like Mary, who thought that Jesus at first was the gardener, we fail to see what God is doing right in front of us. Mary and my Thompson, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I think her commentary on John is the cat's meow, right? So... So it's a wonderful commentary. Uh, She says, Mary turns and sees but does not recognize Jesus. Failure to recognize the risen Lord is a motif familiar with the other resurrection appearances in the other Gospels. Jesus repeats the angel's questions. Why are you weeping? While adding, whom are you looking for? The question recalls the same question asked earlier in the Gospel of John all the way in chapter 1 and then repeated in chapter 18. And ironically points out that the one she's looking for is standing right in front of her, yet not in the form that she expects. Could that be part of Easter too?
Could it be that Easter in the present confronts us not only with the question, did Jesus really rise from the dead, but did Jesus, as the Apostle Paul, really defeat the powers of sin and death? Because let's be honest, we run from the powers of sin and death all the time. Is it really true? And if it's true, what is standing right in front of us that we haven't yet seen in our lives? How is Jesus right there? And what is Jesus calling us to? Marianne says, The risen Lord whom Mary now sees and who can indeed be touched has not returned to be with her or with the disciples. I mean, that's the odd thing about Easter. If I was, if I was coming up with Easter, right? If you said, hey, Scott, come up with a better Easter. Man, I can come up with a way better Easter. So Jesus, at this point, stays. Forget this ascension thing. I mean, just think about that for a moment. What if Jesus had stayed? Wouldn't that have been much more efficient with the disciples? What if Jesus stayed and made sure that they did exactly what Jesus wanted them? Think about what Je- if Jesus had stayed, how many problems in the church could have been avoided? Think about if Jesus had stayed, would we have this problem right now? in Ukraine if Jesus had stayed. Isn't my Easter better? But somehow, it's so important on Easter for Jesus to conquer sin and death, to appear to his disciples, to love them, and confirm that love again, and to go. It's almost as if God believes that that is enough for us to know how to be his people in the world, in this complex world, in this world that is full of so much hate and evil, full of atrocities, that this is enough. Well, maybe Pentecost is important too with the sending of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus doesn't stay. In John's Gospel, Jesus on Easter is preparing to ascend to the Father. This is Easter mission possible. Jesus ascends, so Easter mission will be left in our hands. This morning in the paper, the words of uh, Pope Francis were printed, and they drew my attention at least because they were delivered directly to the mayor of Melitopol in Ukraine and among other Ukrainian parliament members who were in Europe 
looking for support. And he said to them and others, For with Jesus, the risen Lord, no light, no night will last forever. And even in the darkest night, the morning will continue to shine. For with Jesus. That with Jesus is what it means to live a whole new world in faith with Jesus. Notice what Pope Francis didn't say. That Jesus is riding on a white horse and is going to work everything out. With Jesus, the risen Lord, there is hope. He goes on, in the darkness of war, in the cruelty, we are all praying for you and with you this night. We are praying for all of the suffering, meaning we are going to pay attention. We're not going to look away. We are going to carry the suffering. We can only give you our company, our love, our attention in our prayer. And then he adds, the biggest thing that you can receive is that Christ indeed is risen. And he spoke that in Ukrainian. Now, the realist, the skeptic, might say, well, a lot of that's good that's going to do. But for those of us in faith on Easter who believe that indeed Jesus Christ defeated death and conquered sin, and that God is now through the risen Christ in the process, right? of moving us into the future along the commandment of Christ that we should love one another, there is tremendous hope and strength in that position, in that faith, in that Easter mission charge. I mean, for one thing, it means that we don't have to right now figure out how this is all going to work out but it gives us each and every moment of our lives what we can do in the risen Christ to those right next to us as well as those as far away as under the scourge and siege of war. Easter means that everything's new for us. The great hope of Easter is, means that we are also given mission. We're given something to do. Jesus commanded it on Monday, Thursday, that we should love one another as he has loved us. Each Easter mission 
possible. Christ has risen and forever lives to challenge and change all whose lives are messed or mangled, all who find religion strange. Christ is risen. Christ is present, making us what he has been, evidence of transformation in which, even in us, God will be known and seen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Thank you.
that ends the podcast for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Whatever your experience of church has or has not been, you are always invited to be part of our conversations and happenings. We live in a confusing, divisive, isolating times. And it is our prayer that you will experience authentic hope in the very midst of it.